On this episode of Cougar Insiders Podcast, we're going to break down a game at UMass. A lot of success for BYU. We'll talk about the importance of Matt Hadley. We're going to also address the BYU sanctions that were handed down by a committee of the NCAA over the, the, the Emory situation. And then we're going to um, explain a little bit about the bowl situation, why it's important for BYU to be a goal. Are there too many bowls? We'll break that down, and we'll look forward to breaking down the game with New Mexico State. That and more on this edition of Cougar Insiders Podcast. Welcome to the Cougar Insider Podcast. I'm Dick Harmon, calling for the Deseret News, along with Jeff Call, a reporter that's covered BYU for a very, very long time. We're coming to you from Thanksgiving Point, and we're talking BYU sports. This podcast is brought to you by the Salt Lake Stallions. You can get a hold of the Salt Lake Stallions and buy their tickets. Call 1-833-AAF-2019 or go to saltlakestallions.com. You know, Jeff, uh, BYU just got back from a road trip, clear back in the eastern time zone. They played almost mid-morning. Right after they got out of bed, they they started ex- extremely poorly again. How much of that was just that's what they do? How much of it was it that they, they really got up early back there? It was cold, and you have a fumble on your first play. You know, What was your perspective? Well, I mean, just watching the game, you kind of expect them to start slow. That's just what this team does. But uh, when you, you're back there, it's noon eastern, but you realize it's 10 o'clock mountain, and uh, you, you wonder where these guys' body clocks are and stuff. And after the game, we talked to Rhett Sandlin, who, by the way, had a great game. Super game. Two sacks, three tackles for loss. I mean, great performance by that senior. It's really uh, cool to see him uh, play like that. But I asked him that after the game. I said, how much was it, you know, just being tired? And he said, well, he's speaking for himself. He said, I was really tired. I was really trying to wake up. You know, it was really hard to, to get my body in a place where I'm ready to play football at 10 in, in the morning, uh, mountain time. So I think that played into it. But uh, to be BYU's credit, I mean, late in that first uh, quarter, you know, they clicked. I mean, that that fumble by Levahifo was uh, very costly, and it just you're scratching your head, going, "What is going on?" First play from scrimmage, turnover. But they figured it out and uh, played uh, pretty decent the rest of that first half. In the second half, they just uh, took control and put the hammer down, and uh, which BYU need to do against a team like UMass, which is not very good. You know, Jeff, we saw this team UMass come into Provo last year, kind of similar defensive stats. Weren't very good, and, and they lost. And BYU lost to them. It was a head-scratcher. It probably got tied up and were fired. But what was the difference between that year's matchup and this year's matchup, and why did it turn out so different? Well, I think uh, number one thing that comes to mind is BYU was able to rush for, what, 221 yards last Saturday. Uh, last year at the game against UMass, they weren't able to run the ball at all. They just kept throwing the ball, throwing the ball, throwing the ball, and it resulted in four interceptions, I think six, seven uh sacks. Um, and as you remember, it took BYU a while to get that running game going. But once they got it going, um, you know, UMass couldn't stop it and BYU kind of impose its will on UMass. So that to me is a big difference right there. You know, some big performances in that game. I think Matt Hadley, you mentioned uh, Rhett Sandlin. Um, Kafusi continues to really wreak havoc on the uh, offensive line. Both Kafusis, Isaiah and, and uh, Corbin. And, and then a, a person that probably is a little bit forgotten but is coming on, and that's uh, Talon Shumway. He, is, he has become a weapon out there, he's using his size, making plays. Yeah, he's he's emerged as uh, Zach, Wilson, Zach Wilson's favorite target now. And uh, this is something that we expected to see from Talon Shumway. But uh, it just took a while. Last year he had those injuries and stuff like that, but it's kind of been fun to see him 
um, make plays, fight for the ball, fight for extra yardage. That's something that uh, this team has lacked at that position, and uh, he's providing that right now. You know, Jeff, a lot of people have questioned, why in the world is Matt Hadley starting a running back? Obviously, you've had injuries in that, but why Matt Hadley? And a lot of people are, are scratching their head over that. They want to know why Riley Bird isn't playing more. Squally's been injured. He was injured in this game. But people forget just how good this Hadley kid was in high school. He was tremendous in the state of Washington as a running back. He's played safety. He's played uh, uh, linebacker at BYU. He rushed for 2,000 uh, 516 yards and a state record 47 touchdowns as a junior at Connell High School. He also scored three more touchdowns on defense and special teams. He finished high school a career with 6,881 rushing yards and scored a state record 746 points. The guy's no slouch at being a running back, and he's had the biggest plays that BYU's had on offense this season so far. The 58-59 yarder at Boise State is evidence of that. But why is Matt Hadley playing running back? Yeah, well, you know, one of the things that I've noticed uh, on the message boards is that people are saying, well, why is it that, that BYU is turning to Matt Hadley now? And you look at it, yeah, BYU, a year ago, they had K.J. Hall, they had Ula Tolatel. And of course, neither of those two are playing anymore. You now you have Squally Canada, who's been knocked, you know, banged up. You've got uh, Lapini Katoa, who's dealing with some injuries. And so now you got Matt Hadley, and a guy who's played on both sides of the ball. Even this season, he's played on both sides of the ball. Washington, we saw him playing linebacker. But but you're right. I think uh, I think people aren't giving Matt Hadley enough credit for the kind of running back he is. He's got great vision. He's got decent speed, and he just looks like a running back out there. I mean, his, as good as he looked as at both safety and linebacker in the past, it's amazing to me how natural he looks at, uh, at running back, and they've really needed him. He's been the leading rusher for BYU these past four games. You know, I, he reminds me of a faster, more agile Matt Bellini. He's a good receiver, but that, that dump-off play that they have, if he can put him against a linebacker, he can jet past him and yeah. get big, big yardage, and I'm surprised that they don't throw him to him a little bit more, or get him out in the flat and hit him on a little bit of a safety valve, a quick opening thing, and let him do his job. There's a lot of things they can do with Matt Hadley. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a very good athlete. I mean, you, you can't play all those different positions without being a great athlete and uh, you know he's he's returned kicks as well I mean he's just very good with the ball in his hands he's, he's a smart guy Jeff you were gone but uh, while you were gone back east uh, the news came from the NCA last Friday sanctions against BYU probation uh, implications on scholarships um, and then they asked them to vacate some it could be as high as 47 games from Dave Rove's record the university put out a statement there was no name attached to it but said the coaching staff the administration um, they had no knowledge of anything that was happening with Nick Emery, but yet the NCA uh, Committee on Infractions decided that they would hand down a 47-game uh, um, takeaway. You just erase those wins. What's your take on this whole thing as you heard about it and, and discovered what happened? We expected this to come. Well, right? yeah. yeah. I mean, Tom, um, way back in August during Education Week, uh, someone uh, during a Q&A session in the, the class is Education Week, someone asked, you know, there, is there anything more to this Nick Emery thing? And, and Tom uh, said, yes, there's something the, the NCAA is still investigating and something is going to come down. So for months, we've been kind of wondering what's, you know, what kind of a penalty would come down. And I have to tell you, Dick, I, I think I speak for a lot of people. I don't think vacating 47 wins ever entered my consciousness as a possible um, punishment for what happened. And to be clear, what Nick Emery did was wrong. I mean, there's no doubt it was wrong. Um, and some of the things, some of the punishments that came down were justified because of the nature of the penalty. But to to say that BYU, who uh, was very active in participating in this investigation, alerted the NCAA, was cooperative, 
in every way possible for the NCAA to turn around and come down that hard on BYU and have Dave Rose vacate 47 wins. To me, it's absurd. I mean, it really is ridiculous. I think a lot of people nationally have echoed that as well, especially when you consider the climate of what we've seen in the NCAA with you know, North Carolina, for example, some of the stuff that's happened there, academic fraud or whatever it was, and nothing, nothing happened. Nothing happened. And then for them to, to single out BYU and just to come down so hard on BYU, I don't understand it. And I know BYU is appealing. And I don't know. What do you think? We'll, we'll, what will happen with this appeal process, Dick? What do you think? Well, I think they got to turn it around a little bit because, you know, if you go on the balance of what's happened, it's, it's, it is ridiculous. You go back to Weber State, you know, a, a couple of decades ago, Ron and Beglin. They were associated with a junior college in Florida, I believe it is, and, and getting some athletes. And, and, and the allegation by the NCAA was that there was academic fraud involved with their classwork, their admissions, and things like that. Now, that's really serious. And it's also something that you gain really a competitive advantage by getting people who are ineligible to come in. Right, yeah. They, they were put on probation. They had some other penalties, but they did not vacate any wins. Now, the question is, what competitive advantage is what the uh, Committee on Infractions said? What competitive advantage did they, they gain by having Jackson Emory? Did they, did they win a WCC conference championship? No. Did they go to the NCAA tournament and win, win some games? Not really. They haven't really made that a, a part of what they've done. So what competitive advantages they really had going against competition day in and day out and week out and weekend through those 47 games? I don't see it. But I think that the real problem is this thing with the uh, shoe companies that have right. uh, allegedly through federal investigations shown to have paid assistant coaches and high school athletes and directed them to certain colleges. Even here in the state of Utah, the University of Utah knew nothing about this. I, I, I really, in my heart, believe they didn't know anything about this. But Kyle Kuzma received $10,000 as an athlete to be a sheep herder towards the University of Utah by people who were sponsors in the shoe, in the shoe business. Um, I, I don't understand that. You know, should Utah be penalized for you know taking out games because of something an athlete did on his own? Now, at other schools, assistant coaches were receiving money, and they knew about these payments. What's going to happen to them? If, if BYU, in not a recruiting situation, but an already established athlete, you know, received improper benefits and they hit them this hard, it's it's going to come down pretty pretty interesting, I think, when when this whole thing irons out. We're going to talk now a little bit about New Mexico State. We have a special guest in studio. We'll tell him you about that right after this. But first of all, a reminder about the Salt Lake Stallions. You know, this edition, this podcast is brought to you by the Salt Lake Stallions. Football is back here in Utah in winter. Uh, the Salt Lake Stallions are going to feature a lot of in-state players from the University of Utah, BYU, the Aggies. It's a real professional football team coming here. Dennis Erickson is the coach. Uh, he's coached along uh, many teams, including Wyoming, Washington State, uh, the University of Utah. Season tickets are as low as $75. We invite you to call 1-833-223-2019 or go to saltlakestallions.com. Hey, we're really lucky to have in studio with us Ben Criddle, former defensive back for BYU. He's also the uh, the host of uh, ESPN 960. Cougar Sports, Cougar baby. Sports. Cougar Sports it's, it's, it's on ESPN 960. It's a great program. He does a great job. He's got some of the best interviews in the business. He hey, produces I, it I interview you guys. That's why. <laughs> I, interview, I interview you guys. Now you guys get to interview me. I don't know. This hasn't been happening in a long time. No, That's since my to, playing days. It's great to have you in here. But we're just about ready to break down the New Mexico State game in BYU. Um, you know, obviously there are three, three-and-a-half touchdown favorite. Mm-hmm. It's senior day. Uh, BYU really needs this. It's late at night. The fans, some of them probably won't show up. We've seen kind of a trend there, Ben. Mm-hmm. But wh- what do you see in this game? What do you think will happen, and what do you think needs to happen? 
All right, New Mexico is a three and seven team. They're they're not a good football team. BYU um, coming off a nice win over UMass, but I still I still think they underachieved versus UMass. If you look, like I just want to compare it to the averages. So, for instance, UMass was giving up forty one points per game. BYU only scored thirty five. To me, that's underachieving. Like you have to at least looking at UMass's strength of schedule and who they played thus far. Like you have to at least get to the averages, especially as it pertains to a porous defense. So. BYU's offense is still not where it needs to be. So it's a great uh, opportunity for this young offense that continually is struggling and and performing, uh, I would say, uh, below average, comparatively speaking, to the the, the strength of schedule and what those opponents have done against BYU's schedule. So, uh, you know, Zach Wilson, you know, we like him. BYU fans love him. He's the future. Um, they want to see what Kalani Satake is ultimately promoting. He's marketing, let it rip, let's let it fly, challenging the offensive coordinators, Grimes and Roderick, to let Zach Wilson do his worst or do his best. That's what ultimately we want to see versus New Mexico State. That's that, that, that's critical right now. If you want a fan base that's kind of teetering between invested and not invested in the program, they're they're kind of like borderline. Like they're still watching. They always watch. They'll always watch. But you're talking about showing up and being invested. Um, then you're going to need to do something that's marketable, truly marketable versus New Mexico State to get them excited and optimistic that they can actually beat a Utah team that's in the top 25 right now, and they really haven't had much of a drop-off with uh, their backup quarterback in Shelly and their backup running back in Shine. They're just as athletic, just as dynamic. Maybe not as much you know, development has occurred for them, but they're just as talented as the guys they're replacing, and now they're getting substantial reps in game live action. So uh, you, you have to instill some sort of optimism in this BYU fan base right now if you want them to uh, – to 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 show up and and be excited about this BYU Utah game. This should be a drubbing. This should be a complete obliteration of of New Mexico State. They shouldn't even be on the same field as BYU. Uh, it, it shouldn't be a competitive matchup at all. In the crosshairs of that game, with that expectation that's needed, you, you go back to last year when BYU switched quarterbacks. They had Bo Hodge for a while. RPOs were his thing, and they yeah. tried it. Immediately ended. Ty had to switch offenses several times. Uh, Jeff Grimes has had to do that now. They've had to reinvent BYU's offense when they made the change. It's a mirror image of last year. Except, for, for, for yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. How hard is it, being player, how hard is it to switch to RPO, get a new quarterback, a freshman involved, and expect that to go at a high-octane level? Now, it's been, what, three games? Where are they at on that scale? Where do they need to be? I, I think what they've tried to do is just they, they probably sat down with Zach Wilson similar to the, the Mark Wilson story. And, you know, Doug Scoville said, what do you feel comfortable in doing? And Mark said, I, I would like to sprint out on a, every passing play. <laughs> right? uh, and, and I think that's what they did with Zach to a certain extent. Now, I think there's kind of this this meeting in the middle. I, I don't think Zach necessarily wants to run RPOs every single play where you know he's got an option to either give, take, or throw, right? I think he would like a few dictated passes where he's, you know, it's actually a called play action. And he is going to throw a ball downfield, five step, seven step. He's in shotgun, so you know, you know, it's it's more of a timing thing than it is, you know, a traditional RPO where he's going to get to the mesh point, pull it quick, and it's coming out quick, slants, hitches, outs, um, things of that nature. So um, right now, I would say the offense is, you know, they're, they're in a good spot. Uh, I think 
the quarterback feels comfortable running RPOs because he's always ran them in high school. Um, but he would like more dictate, you know, dictated passes. The offensive line, it's a little bit different for them. That's where the learning curve is right now is the offensive line because they're having to just zone block for the most part. And, you know, sometimes, you know, there, there's, there's some issues there because you're essentially just kind of screening. You're not putting necessarily a hat on a hat. You're kind of reacting and being an athlete in your zone blocking scheme. It's not, hey, I need to chip here and then get up to the second level. Like there's kind of this, this, you know, reading and reacting with, uh, the zone, zone read, rush game that uh, they're having to adapt to right now. But and that's maybe why you're seeing a drop-off in protection, too. And that there's also the fact that Boise State and uh, NIU had better defensive fronts than than probably Wisconsin. Um, as far as pass rush and talent is concerned, Like that's, that's probably why BYU was so effective in running the football because of the... I would say the lack of talent versus some of those defensive fronts. There you go. Ben Criddle, ESPN 960. You can catch his show. I would I would really recommend it. He does a great job. Thanks for being with us today, Ben Criddle. Thanks, ben. Thanks guys. Appreciate you. Jeff Call, uh, speaking of bowl eligibility, what does it say about the state of college football when uh, a team can reach 500 and go to a bowl game? A lot of people say, hey, you know, there's too many teams that are going to bowl games that really aren't worth it. BYU is on the cusp of that. They win this game. They could be eligible for a bowl game. They probably will be invited to a bowl game if there's one available for them. ESPN will be watching their backs and they'll go somewhere. What's your vision on a team that is 500 going to a bowl game? Well, you know, going going six and six or seven and five to me is not uh, anything to write home about. I mean, it's kind of the definition of being mediocre, but I think it's all relative compared to where BYU was a year ago. Um, you know, going four and nine, not going bowling for the first time in 12 years. This would be an accomplishment for this team. And uh, yeah, it's not uh, something you're not going to throw up a banner in honor of it, but you're going to for Kalani Sataki and his in his program, they need this. I think perhaps the biggest benefit of this is the extra practice they're going to get in the month of December, leading up to a bowl game, where especially where they have so many young guys, so many guys that need reps, so many guys that need need to take snaps and get experience. Uh, this gives BYU one more chance to play a game, and then all the practices, like I said, leading up to it, it would be very beneficial to this program. You know, playing devil's advocate a little a little bit about those that say, hey, there's a glut of bowl games, and you know, almost half the teams in the country can go to one. What are the purpose of bowl games? Is it to reward teams? Yeah, it kind of is. But the purpose of bowl games is for people in those communities to make money. That's the purpose. It fills restaurants. It fills um, the bars, so to speak. It, it, it fills uh, the hotels. It, it really interjects a little bit of money and cash time during the holidays. That's the reason there are so many bowl games. It's not because it's something that has to be fair or somebody's earned something. It's for people to make money. It's for ESPN and other bowl sponsors to make money and to have programming during that course of the year to see some football. Is it fair? Is it right? And, you know, you can make a case that, hey, there's just too many of them. It doesn't mean anything. But these are businesses. They're making money. And that's why you get five, uh, six, and six teams in bowl games. Well, this, this whole bowl system is the reason why we don't have a true playoff in college football. I mean, it's yeah, because it's because of the Orange Bowl, the Rose Bowl, the Sugar Bowl, because there's so much money tied up in that. Like you said, that uh, they won't give it. They're up. not going to give it up. Even though, I mean, I've interviewed people in the past who've told me, and these are marketing people, business people, who said that college football could make way more money doing a playoff. They could generate a lot more money. However, that money would be more evenly distributed. It wouldn't be, you know, 
kept closely tight knit in that uh, power five or whatever. And so they're not going to let go of that. They're not going to, you know, a lot of it's greed, but they're, they're not going to do it. So, uh, because there's no playoff, you're going to see all these different, you know, bowl games and you're going to see communities and cities, businesses with opportunities to make some more money and maybe try to bring some prestige to their business or their community. And what you have is a glut of bowl games and there's tons of them. And I'll admit, I, I'm not thrilled about it, but, uh, every holiday season, I really enjoy sitting down and watching those bowl games. It's fun to, to watch uh, wall-to-wall football throughout the holiday season. Earlier this week, Jeff Grimes, the offensive coordinator at BYU, had an opportunity to describe some things about his offense on um, Coordinator's Corner. The first cut right here is he's talking about the RPO and the looks that they've had to recreate for Zach Wilson in that offense. Part of it is the RPO game that we're using. So um, those are fairly, those, I, won't, I won't say they're easy throws, but those are throws that should have a high completion percentage on them. And the, when you throw those, you should be throwing in the favorable passing looks. Just like when you run it in those situations, you should be running it into favorable run looks because of the nature of how those players work and so I would say that's part of it the other part of it is I would say that Zach is a guy that's inherently accurate he for the most part throws the ball where it needs to go and it, it's almost um, it's almost like when he throws one that's not extremely catchable you're mad at him <laughs> what happened but sometimes you forget um, how young he is but so many things are still just tied into the details for him you know taking a better drop getting his footwork right getting in rhythm and when he does those things he's really good and a lot of times he's good even when he doesn't so once he gets the some of those fundamentals down more consistently i think he's going to be even better than what we're seeing right now and here's the second cut jeff grimes describes how effective byu's offense has been in the red zone they kind of struggled over two losses and then they uh, came into this game with umass they were five for five five touchdowns he talks a little bit about why that's happening and why it's been so effective yeah we, we put some extra time in the red zone this past week and and um Obviously, having given uh, the struggles that we had the previous two weeks, that was warranted. Um, glad to see that it paid off. You know, if you score touchdowns in the red zone, um, as long as you're able to move the ball efficiently, then you're going to win most of your games. So that's something that we will continue to emphasize. Before we get to our picks, Jeff Call, we're going to uh, we're going to thank our sponsor, the Salt Lake Stallions. Yeah, football's coming. Professional football is coming to Salt Lake City. You can be a part of that. Seeing former Cougars, former Utes. Former Aggies, and you can you know see a, a team that's going to be coached by Dennis Erickson, used to be the uh, offensive coordinator at University of Utah. Go to SaltLakeStallions.com, or you can call one eight three three two two three. 2019. You know, we're going to do some picks here, but we want to remind you there's a great opportunity for you to win prizes by posting your college football predictions online. It's called Grid Picks, and uh, you can sign up at DeseretNews.com. I personally pick the 14 games each week, and there are gift cards to be won. Test your knowledge and luck at DeseretNews.com Grid Picks. Uh, Jeff, call the final word. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about your prediction for this weekend. What other thoughts you might have and give us your prediction? All right, well, for my prediction, I'm going to say uh, 48-13 for BYU. I think uh, I think the offense will get it rolling a little bit. Uh, I think the defense has been playing well. I think they'll continue to do that. So we'll see if it gives them enough momentum going into next week. Um, the, my final word is uh, looking at the bowl projections. We're just talking about bowl eligibility. Presuming BYU gets bowl eligible, um, the majority of the projections have BYU playing in the first responders bowl. You know where that is, Dick? Is Where's, it in Dallas? It is Dallas. Do you know what day it's set, it, it's set for? It would be the day after Christmas. That is correct. Which means you and I and our wives will have to say... 
Merry Christmas on some other day, right? I hope. I hope. I hope <laughs> that our our boss will say that we can leave like Christmas Eve, like we can open presents to our families and then them board a flight. I, I really hope I don't have to wake up uh, Christmas morning in Dallas, but I guess that's to be negotiated. But uh, so yeah, it's interesting. There's other. I mean, other possibilities. Detroit. I think we've both been to Detroit oh, to a goodness. bowl game the day after no, Christmas. No, 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 Detroit. Not a fun experience. And not Memphis either. Yeah. Uh, Birmingham, North Carolina, Florida. So there's some other options. But the majority of the people that really follow this closely have projected BYU to, to go to that uh, first responders bowl in Dallas. So get ready, Dick. I'll be ready. Uh, and some of the t- what the one team that is pretty consistent in who might play is North Texas, the Mean Green the Mean Green Machine, North Texas. Can you get can you get excited for that, Dick? Uh, I'm excited to see football at any time. You know, and, and the important thing is, like you said, a team that can practice and get an extra spring practice in for a young team, that's pretty important. I don't care who they play. But, you know, it is a little bit saturated. It's a bad time of the year for you and I personally, but it's still football, and it's going to be uh, it's good to see football. I like to see this team get an extra game. Uh, Kalani uh, Sataki, if they go to a bowl game, it, it marks that there have been progress against a real tough schedule. Uh, this game this Saturday... These are the kind of games that BYU should be starting the season out in September. Getting a little bit of confidence, get some continuity, get some points behind you. This is what the University of the University of Utah does. This is what a lot of other schools do. But it's something that BYU cannot do is to play a team that you're expected really to win. BYU opened up at Arizona and they got a win. That was very fortunate to them. Arizona now is in uh, in a spot to win the, the South Division. I don't know that they will. Arizona uh, State is also there. University of Utah is there. Um, but Arizona that BYU opened up with for all all the trouble that they've had can win the South Division. I predict the BYU will get in the 40s. I'll say 44, and I think New Mexico State will probably score 17. It should be a romp. Expected to be a romp. It better be a romp. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Cougar Insider Podcast. We'd love to hear from you through email, cougarinsiders at deseretnews.com. And please subscribe or download our podcast wherever you find it. We're working to deliver you the most up-to-date information on BYU sports. I'd love to have you with us. We want to thank Jeff Call. I want to thank Ben Criddle for stopping in. Thanks for being with us on this edition of Cougar Insiders Podcast. 